Hello, neighbor. Isn't that great? I mean, I just love that. It just takes me back to these places of, of good feelings. You know, I don't know about you, but that's how, that's where I go during that, that intro. Hey, welcome. I'm Pastor Kurt. Special welcome to you online who are joining us. We're so grateful that you continue to hang in there with us and continue to worship with us. So thanks for being with us today. And like Steve said, I got to finish up this series on the neighbors. And it's been great. It's been challenging like it was for Steve. You know, I'm an introvert, and so I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that later. Um, but it's been really, really good for me. God's challenged me in some new ways and refreshed my soul in some great ways. So I hope he has for you as well. Well, uh, most of us love camping, and I think most of us have some really uh, fun camping stories, and then we have some more camping stories that aren't always so fun. And I wanted to share one this morning that I think really, really illustrates um, when you think about the love of God and how passionate he is for us. I think this story illustrates uh, his passion and his love for us. So a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago about, there was a little girl in our church had just turned two, and she was on a camping trip with her parents and with several other families just out, out of town here out in the county. And during this camping trip, she wandered away. I mean, she was just, just turned two. And she wandered away and was discovered missing. And everything was shut down immediately, right? Breakfast was interrupted and everything was shut down as all of the families that were there went out and searched for her and even neighbors went out and the call went out and people drove, drove out from town uh, to go and help them search. And this went on for over two hours. And if you're a parent in the room, like that's a long time. Every minute that ticks by, you know, you think, is there hope? I mean, we lost our son Levi for like two minutes under a clothing rack in a mall one time and our hearts were beating out of our chest just for two minutes, you know. But here's this little girl. She's been gone two hours. Uh, they're losing hope. And you can imagine, you can imagine the feeling in mom and dad's heart and in the feeling of all those people that love them and love this little girl as the, as the search went on. But finally, a neighbor found her in a field about half a mile from camp, actually kind of a forested area, about half a mile. This little girl, not barely two, had, they think she followed some dogs, went across the road, and ended up under some trees in this camp at the base of a tree. And there she was digging a hole in the ground with her foot as she was discovered, you know, not, not aware how lost she was. Uh, there were ponds, there, were, there was water that she could have fallen into. And this was a, a horribly frantic two hours for these parents. Why? Well, because they love her and because she is irreplaceable. She is irreplaceable. And the beauty of this was as well how the community came around and, and helped with the search and jumped in and they felt the same way. She was irreplaceable. They needed, they needed to find her. And praise the Lord, they did, right? And I tell you that story to say, you know, that frantic feeling that you get when your child's lost for a little while or they're misplaced somehow or they wander off and that sense of, I need to find my child. That's a normal emotional, emotional response that we as parents have. And I believe that although God's not frantic, but I believe that's the kind of passion that God feels for us and for people that are lost. Sometimes we think about the lost and we, and we don't really think about how our Heavenly Father must, must feel. Because God has feelings. He created us with feelings. And so, how does God feel about the lost? 
And one thing we know that is true about God is the same thing that's true about we as children of other parents is that we are irreplaceable and we are valuable to God. And as we wrap up this series, it's important that we, that we lay hold of this truth that God values you so much that he interrupted heaven to come and find you. Yes, you. And, and all of us. That's how much God loves us. He sent Jesus to seek us and save us, not when we were found, but when we were lost. And you get a sense of the Father's heart just wanting to seek and to save us and to find us and to bring us back to himself. And, you know, Jesus talked about this a lot. Not just once or twice, a lot. Jesus talked about the Father's relentless passion and desire to seek and save the lost. One of the stories he told is in Matthew 18, verse 12. If you'd like to turn there this morning. And the story goes like this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? I always kind of wondered about that. You know, well, what about the 99 then? Well, we're presuming that he leaves them in a safe place, right? Well, he goes and searches for the one lost sheep. And I want to remind you this morning, as I remind my own soul of this, that God sees you. Somebody here needs to hear that today. God sees you where you're at and what you're struggling with. God loves you. God pursues you when you stray. God's goal is to have you safe and secure in his fold, in his sheepfold, if you will. That's God's goal for you, that you would be safe with him, that you would be home with him. He values your soul. And as he values your soul, I want you to know that God values what you feel. God values when you're anxious. God understands your heart, when you've suffered disappointment or loss or sadness. This week I sat with three different families that had lost people in their lives. Just this week. And, and the level of disappointment and sadness and sorrow that they feel, even though they know their loved one is with Jesus. There's still this tremendous loss. And I want you to know that, that when you're lonely or when you're suffering in any way that, that your father sees you, and he enters in and he, he sees you and enters in because he finds incredible value in you, just in who you are. And we have to believe that. We have to believe that God values us, that we are precious to him, even though we face things that are hard and difficult in life. He cares so deeply for us. Jesus told another story in Luke chapter 12, verse 6. He said, what is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins, that's about a day's wages. And yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, for some of you, that's easier than others, you know, that, that God has your hairs numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I'm so glad they use sparrows, not crows, because I would have had a hard time really believing that. Anybody else have bad crows this summer? Just horrible. So here's what we need to grasp. Here it is. That God truly loves every person on the planet that way. Everyone. No matter what they look like, no matter what their condition is, 
no matter where they live or how they live, God loves each person that much that he knows where they're at and he knows what it's going to take to find them. And, and so here's why it's so important. I mean, it is important just for our own uh, spiritual health and emotional health to know that God values us that much. But here's the other reason. As we think about this command that Jesus gave us to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. See, this is why it's important. You can only love in the way that you've been loved. Like you can only truly love and truly value somebody else if you know that you've been loved and valued that way. And so if we're going to live out this great command with any effectiveness and help draw people to Christ, then we must believe and receive the value that God has for us. If we can't receive it for ourselves, then we can't give it away. And so that's one thing that we need to really do. We need to be able to do that, to believe that, that God values me and God wants me to value others the way that he values me. But for me to do that, I must truly believe that God values me that way so that I can truly love my neighbor as I love myself or as I know I'm loved by him, right? So to love my neighbor well, I must believe how valuable I am to God. And we struggle with this. We struggle with this because bad things happen in life and we wonder where was God We struggle with this because we heard messages growing up that make us question how valuable we are. And we struggle with this just because the culture and and the world that we live in is a negative culture. And so sometimes we just have to lay hold of this by faith. We may not feel it, but we need to lay hold of it by faith and just say, it's true. God loves me and values me this way. And then when I believe that, then I must believe that my neighbor is as valuable to God as I am. My neighbor is as valuable to God as I am. That's your second point in the notes today. Now, uh, last Tuesday, we were obedient. Your lead pastor was obedient to what we were asking everybody to do because we're not going to ask you to do something that we're not going to do ourselves. And so we had our block party last Tuesday night. And i got to tell you about it. As I told you last week, I, I recruited some extroverts like I annexed them into our community. We went outside our cul-de-sac and I went to the Schmitz and I went to the house and I said, we got to have you. We got to have you at this party because I'm such an introvert. And so they made an invitation and here it is. This is our invitation. Now, I want you to look that over and I want you to notice. So we went door to door and we invited people or we stuck these in the door. That happened several times for us, but they weren't home, stuck them in the door. So now keep in mind, these people that we're inviting, they have no idea who's throwing this party. All they know is that there's a block party. So are they going to show up if they don't know who's throwing? I mean, it could be weirdos, right? I mean, it is weirdos. It's us. (laughs) We're the strange neighbor. And so they get this invitation. It's got nobody's names on it. All it says is Bender Place cul-de-sac. And by the way, I think that there's probably a business in this for you extroverts, like rent an extrovert or, or rent an extro or something like that. I think you could probably make some money on this. Rent me for a party, you know, whatever. I'll wear the lampshade, you know. Rent an extrovert. Okay, you can thank me later for that. So what did we do? I'll tell you about our party. We set up a couple tents, propane fire pit, some fixings for s'mores, some chairs, a cornhole game out in the street, some sidewalk chalk, and then we waited. Then we just waited. And we don't know if anybody's going to show, right? And so 7 o'clock comes and people start walking in. 
People start coming from across the street, down the road, apartments, houses, people I had never, ever met before. And they came with huge smiles on their faces. They came walking in, and and simply all we had to do was say, Hey, welcome to the party. My name is so-and-so. Who are you? And then the party began, and we got to know each person a little bit, just a tiny bit, to know their name, to know where they live. And as the night went on, I was struck by how unique each person was. And I'm a counselor, right? So part of me just loves to stand back and watch people. And so I was eavesdropping on conversations. I was standing back and watching people. And it was just a beautiful thing to see all these different people. And they were different. Some Christians, some not. Some not Christians. And they, it was just amazing to watch them and for their personalities to come out in the way that they were sharing and to see the smiles on their faces. And the party was scheduled from 7 to 9. And you know what? 9.20, we shut it down because they weren't going home. <laughs> 9.20. And the feeling I got was here's some people that many of them, almost most of them, really loved what was going on so much that they stayed. And that wasn't due to me because, you know, I'm kind of, you know, awkward socially. And so I'm sure I made it harder for them, not better. But the fact that there was a group of people that would talk with them and listen to them and do that with each other, share stories, the whole thing was just beautiful to see each personality start to come out of this person. And I began to think to myself, I begin to understand why God values each person so much. Because each soul is such a masterpiece and is so different to our Heavenly Father. And He's made each one of us so uniquely and when we all enter into community with that personality, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And so for me, the experience turned out great. The worst part about the experience was going door to door and knocking on doors. That was hard. And so I was talking to my daughter about that, and I said, Lindsay, why do you think that is? And she said, well, Dad, think about it. You're going onto their private property, their territory, and maybe people have knocked on their doors before, and it hasn't been, you know, fun or great. And so here you are with a pamphlet in your hand, and they're going like, who are these people? And now they have these ring door things, you know, that they can see you through a camera. So you've got to have to kind of, you know, flex and look good. (laughs) That was the worst part for me. And I think it's simply because you don't know what you're going to get, right? Once the party started, people are walking in. It was just fun. And I just want to say that one of the things I discovered again, which I've known, I've known, but I discovered again how much value each person has in our neighborhood. And again, wildly different, wildly different, age-wise, demographic-wise, wildly different, and yet how much value and beauty there is in each person. Why? Because every one of those people are made in God's image, like we are. They're made in God's God's image like we are. And that's why they have value. And that's why they are worth engaging. And that's why they are worth the, the discomfort of knocking on their doors. It's because they were made in God's image like we are. And they have value like we do. In Genesis 126, it says, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign And then in 2.7 it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person, or other versions say the man became a living soul. Let's just talk about this for a minute, because I, I do believe that this is the most, one of the most spiritual 
decisions, choices we can make. You can have a, hot, a lot of head knowledge and really kind of be useless in the kingdom, but you have to begin to let the head knowledge live through you and let the understanding of how valuable you are live through you so that you can be effective. And I believe, honestly, this is one of the most important and spiritual teachings we could possibly bring to the church. It's how to live out our faith by loving our neighbor, like Jesus said. So if you're like me, I think we tend to look at the packaging, don't we? We tend to look at the person, the body, uh, how they live or, or what they're like on the outside. We tend to look at that. And honestly, like Steve said last week, uh, we tend to judge. We tend to have prejudice. And we judge people for how they look. We judge them for how they live. Here in Linden, we judge them for the length of their lawn, um, what kind of car they drive. But I want to remind you today, and I know this seems elementary, but I really want us to grasp this, that our value has nothing to do with our packaging. It doesn't. And in fact, really, really attractive people will tell you that they feel prejudiced against, that they feel like people judge them simply for being attractive. You know, I have that problem. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But our value, and I want, I want you to think about this as you think about your neighbor, okay? This is why I'm, I'm telling you this, that our value has nothing to do with our external package, if you will, or how we're made or what we look like, our attractiveness, our non-attractiveness. Nothing to do with that. Our value has to do with what's eternal about us, and that is the soul. That is the soul. That is the mind that God gave us, the consciousness that we have for him, uh, our personality that he gave us, which we're going to have in heaven, um, our, our will, our ability to make choices. All of this that's on the inside of us is what matters. And that is what God wants us to value. We've got to look past the person. You know, the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And we have to look past the outward appearance so that we can see into the soul like Jesus did and we can love the person that is living in that tent or that body that God has given them, right? So God sees each of our neighbors that way. That's how he sees them. They have incredible value, inherent value to God, and God wants us to see them that way as well. He sees each one of our neighbors as his own image bearer. That's how he sees them. And each of them, with a precious soul, and here's why it's precious, it has the potential to be redeemed so that it can live with him for eternity. That's what's valuable. That's, what, that's why God did all this, is because he wants to bring home, like the parents wanted to seek and find their little girl who was lost. God, in the same way, wants to bring home every person that ever comes to this planet. And he wants to bring them home. And we're lost until he does. And if there is one lost, then the family is not complete. You know, Jesus told another story about finding precious souls. I want to tell you it. In Luke 15, 8 through 10, he told this story. He said, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
one of your neighbors who because you reached out to them and over time they began to feel the love of Christ through you, at some point if they respond and repent and give their heart to Christ, did you know that heaven rejoices over that? And you get to have a part of seeking and saving those lost. So heaven rejoices when one lost soul is found. Now Warren Wearsby, who's a great scholar, wrote a great commentary. He says that this coin that a woman lost, and not all scholars say this, but he does. He says this coin that a woman lost was part of a set, like a headset, that went on her head that she was given as a wedding gift. It's a headdress that a woman received as a dowry. And so it's not that the one coin was so expensive or significant or or even not replaceable, but it's the fact that it was a part of a set that she lost, and so it's irreplaceable. This was given to her as a gift. It's a big deal. Part of the set is gone. And again, I want you to think about why Jesus told this story. That when there's a lost sinner out there, part of God's set is not complete. And God wants to bring that person home. Every person home. Every one of our neighbors, God wants to bring home. And God wants to see our neighbor, if they're not saved, as a lost coin to complete his set. And so again, God wants us to look past the outward appearance. God wants us to look past uh, the apparent, past the way they're different than us, and past their sin if they're sinners, and past their dysfunction if they're dysfunctional. And he wants us to value them as he does. And I believe that God wants us to feel the kind of anxiety and, and compassion that the parents felt that lost their little girl. And the neighbors felt that joined the hunt. God wants us to feel that same kind of, of, of urgency of how important it is to get out there and to help to find the lost. And it starts by loving our neighbor as ourself. So to search for them and to help find them. You know, again, these people that helped the parents search for their daughter, they were not the parents. They were not part of their their family. They were they were friends. They were neighbors. They were people on the outside. But they entered into the search because they had compassion and they cared about this little girl being found. And in the same way, that's what God wants us to feel about his lost. God wants us to enter in with compassion and with a sense of urgency that every person lost would be found. And we don't know who's going to be found. And so every person needs that same kind of attention. And I want to ask you today, how much important, how much more important is an eternal soul than even the life of somebody, the physical life of somebody? How much more important is the eternal soul? And again, I know, I know we don't think about this a lot, But family, we have people living around us that potentially are not going to be in eternity with us, with Jesus, because they are lost. And we have the opportunity to join the search and to be a part of the team that helps to find people and bring them home to Jesus. And he gave us, he gave us this task. He invited us, in fact, commanded us into that task with him. Now, Pastor Steve taught us last week about the barrier of fear. And I want to just mention this because I would say this is what would keep me from engaging somebody if I had the opportunity to do so. This is what it would be. He mentioned apathy as one of the barriers to really loving our neighbor. And I wanted to drill down a little bit. It was such a great message. 
And I wanted to drill down a little bit into this one thing, this one characteristic, this one barrier that keeps us from loving our neighbors by engaging them, and that is apathy. What is apathy? Apathy is really just not caring. It's not caring, or at least not caring enough. And I know that's going to sting a little bit, even as I say it, but I'm going to tell you I'm the first in line to say there have been times that I have not cared enough to engage. And this is something I'm really working on hard. I want to do this well. I want to love my neighbor well. I want to be there in the little conversations across the fence that I choose or not choose. But this is the one thing I want us to get today from this message, and that is the value of one and how valuable they are to Jesus that all of heaven would rejoice when that one person comes home. Now, again, let me just say, we may not know them. We may not even like how they look or how they live. We may be put off by their attractiveness or non-attractiveness. There may be something we just don't really connect with about this person. And we could say the same thing about ourselves, right? There are things about us. I joke all the time about how awkward I am in conversations out there in the commons, and I know it, so thank you for putting up with me that way. But I'm telling you, there are things we don't like about people, and Jesus says, care about them anyway, because they have an eternal soul that has incredible value. And so here's the truth, and this is what I want to tell you this morning, and this is true about me, that sometimes I care more about my comfort than I care about their condition. That is so wrong. And I repent all the time from that. And again, I'm telling you, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me push through those moments of, of discomfort or anxiety when I think about what I could be to this person or that person and how I could engage them and enter their world And this is why it has to be love. It has to be love. This is why Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. Love is the only thing that I know that will take us past the point of fear and discomfort and into the condition of another person, into their life, into their world. Love is the only thing I know. What what would love look like in that moment or in that situation? It would be that I care more about you and your soul than I care about my own comfort in this moment. That is what I believe. When you unpack, when Jesus said to us, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, when you unpack that, I'm telling you, this is what it comes down to, is that we would care more about the condition of another person's soul, and so we would engage them, than we would even care about our own comfort. So I'm giving you a new slogan this morning. Condition over comfort. You've had... Faith over fear, right? You've had all these things I've given you over the last year and a half of COVID. Here's a new one for you. Condition over comfort. Be willing to enter their condition even over and above your own comfort. It's got to be love. There's nothing else that drives out that discomfort. There's nothing else that helps us push past that discomfort. It's this. Every person has a soul that is worth knowing and that is worth loving And I would say this to you today, if we begin to do this, I believe we'll even enjoy getting to know another person's personality or soul. I think it's fun. We just have to push past the discomfort of it. Now, what are we fearing? Uh, Steve gave us several things, and one of them I think is very true, fear of rejection. Fear of rejection is probably the biggest thing. We're not sure what people are going to do with us, right? 
we, we just don't know what they're going to do with us. But it's worth it. Again, getting past the whole knocking on the door thing to the place where I stood out there in my cul-de-sac and with the help of some extroverts, I watched people walk up with smiles on their faces, people I'd never met and would have never met had we not done this. I got to tell you, that was worth it. That was worth all the anxiety. That was worth all the the discomfort that I felt walking around knocking on doors. doors. It was worth every minute. Why? Because every soul has value. And that's number three in our notes today as we wrap it up. Jesus proved our value by his passionate, sacrificial love for us. Jesus proved that we have value. You don't have to ask, ask that question anymore, do I have value? Jesus proved it by dying on the cross for you and for me. You don't need any more proof is what I'm saying. If you're wrestling with, do I have value? Here's the proof. Jesus cared enough to come to seek and to save you and to die on the cross for you and to allow you to discover that love, for you to receive that love. Jesus cared enough for you. Okay, so Jesus proved it to us. Now, I would love it if you read this passage aloud with me this morning. It's an old verse, probably the most... Um, well-known verse in all of the Bible. So would you read it out loud with me right now? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Yes, God loves, here it is, the whosoevers. God loves the whosoevers, right? They are the ones that he's after. I was a whosoever. You were a whosoever. We were all ones that said whatever to God. And people are still saying whatever to God. And those are the whosoevers that Jesus continues to seek and save. And his mission on this planet is to save the whosoevers. The whosoevers are the ones that he is after. If you read the next verse, John three seventeen, it says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And how did Jesus do this? He went to the unknown. He went to the unloved. He went to the undesirables. He went to the ones that nobody else would go to. And he went to the whosoevers. And he said, I have love for you. I value you. You are precious to me. He offered them the gift of relationship. I know you've heard this story a hundred times, but he went to this woman at a well who nobody else would go to and nobody else would touch. She was an undesirable. Nobody wanted to be in relationship with her in terms of the people that Jesus knew. And that's who he picked to share the fact that he was the Son of God with for the very first time. That's who Jesus chose. He chose an undesirable. He ignored all the judgment that he knew he would receive from his friends for going and engaging her, and he engaged her, and he offered her a relationship. And after getting to know her a little bit, this is what he said to her. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you the living water. And again, getting back to the first point, I think sometimes we don't, we don't offer ourselves to our neighbors because we don't see ourselves as the gift that we are, as the gift that God has made us, that you are a gift to somebody. You can bring living water to somebody. You can bring encouragement to somebody. You can bring life to somebody. You can bring Christ to somebody. 
You know, there's an old saying, you've heard this said, you know, he, he just thinks he's God's gift. Usually to women, right? He just thinks he's God's gift. I want to tell you this morning, you are God's gift. And you can say that. In fact, turn to somebody and say, I am God's gift to you. Would you just turn to somebody? Come on, say it. I'm God's gift. It's the truth. It's the truth. I am God's gift to you and you are God's gift to me. Of course, it's because of Christ in us, right? That's the best thing about us. But every one of us has something to offer a neighbor that they need from us. And again, neighbor can be anybody that God brings across your path. So here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you this morning, it's the same challenge to me, and that is that I would work at seeing people as God sees them. People that have an eternal soul, that have the potential to be in heaven with us forever. And we have the opportunity to be a part of the search team that Jesus would want to use to help pave the way back to relationship with him. That's our call. Okay, so I want to pray for you a moment as the worship team comes. We're going to close with communion today. So let me just pray for you. Jesus, thank you today that each of us here, even though maybe we don't believe it 100%, each of us have incredible value to you. We are precious to you. We were worth saving simply because you made us and we bear your image. We thank you for that. Help us to believe that, Lord, and then help us help us to really believe that we have something of value to offer our neighbor, something that they need, and that they have the value. They are worth us engaging them. Why? Because they were worth you dying for them. You saw them as worth it. So help us to see them as worth it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me this morning and just take the cup in your hand and the worship team is going to lead us through a song that really talks about our worth and our value. So take it and hold it and I'll come back and lead you through communion in a moment.